This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. I'm Neil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. My guest for this episode works for a company that needs little introduction, Google. As the global program chef at Google, Scott Giambastiani is in charge of feeding some of the most brilliant technology minds in the world. Not just that, he has the added challenge of making the cafeterias and dining experiences in all of Google's offices as nutritious and sustainable as possible. In our conversation, Scott explains how Google is pioneering plant-forward dining, engineering all of the cafeterias to maximize the amount of fruits, vegetables, and whole foods Googlers consume. This comes down to working with chefs to create interesting, bold flavors for vegetable dishes and even designing dining areas to steer people towards making healthier and more sustainable food choices. Google has revolutionized the way we use the internet, and as you'll hear from Scott, they are well on their way to changing how we think about food. If you work in food service or run a restaurant, or are looking to understand what drives people to make better food choices without realizing they're even doing that, there's a lot you'll love about this interview. Scott GM Bastiani, thank you so much for being on the Eat for the Planet podcast. It's my pleasure. It's great to be here. You've been with Google now for 11 years. Um, can you start off by telling us how did you even get this uh, exciting job and uh, what it is that you do here at Google? Yeah, so my, my current role is Global Program Chef and Operations Manager. I, I lead two hats. One is uh, helping define the food and beverage guidance for our chefs around the world that execute our food. Uh, and then the other hat is to manage a team that run our micro kitchen programs, our catering programs, global risk and enablement, which is our teaching kitchens. So lots of fun stuff that bring Google food to life every day. And uh, how did you get this job? How did this land? Uh, yeah, it's lap? an interesting story. So as many chefs in our early years, we work on the weekends, we do charity events. And I was doing an event in Monterey, California, where uh, a Googler, a Google employee at the time, which I didn't know who she was, came up and grabbed my business card, had a quick conversation. Two days later, I got a phone call from a recruiter saying, hey, uh, we're looking for a potential opportunity for you at Google. And I was like, Google, you got the wrong number. I'm not an engineer. I'm a cook. 
And I was about to hang up the phone, and, and she's like, no, 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 we actually have a food program at Google. Would you be interested? And it turns out that Charlie Ayers, the first chef of Google, had just moved on, and they were looking for his replacement. So ended up doing some cook-offs for the co-founders, uh, met a bunch of the Google employees, and then several months later took the job and cooked for the first two years, uh, two and a half years at Google, and then moved out of the operations and moved to the global program team where I am now where we really help define the guidance for all of our chefs and partners that bring the food program to life in uh, 145 cities around the world. It's truly remarkable what they do. And so for people who don't have a clear understanding of why Google has a food team, uh, give, give us a sense of uh, how much food do you serve daily and in how many countries? Yeah, we get that question quite often. So I can, I can safely say that we serve well over 175,000 meals per day. Uh, every day. Uh, and the people that, that bring this to life, uh, we have about 43 different catering partners and, uh, and just under 5,000 actual partners that, that bring this to life. So if you look at 220-ish cafes around the world, we're in about 56 countries. We have food trucks. We do catered events. We do on-site breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We have micro kitchens, as you saw earlier. The 4,900 partners that bring this to life around the world are truly the rock stars. And that represents, like I said, about 43 different uh, partner organizations. Uh, and we feed about uh, 117,000 individuals daily that we can that we can safely say that's a good number. It's most likely a little higher than that. Uh, just today, I brought in two of my new friends as guests, and Googlers do bring in guests as well. So one of the great perks of the program is you can bring in your your friends and family on occasion so they can really experience what Google Food is like, because it's it's hard to explain it. Mm -hmm. your, your little mini tour that we just went through before we started recording here uh, uh, almost uh, felt like I was... Uh... I was getting a tour of, uh, of 10 different restaurants all yeah. at once yeah. uh, and cafeterias and a food court and um, um, some sort of uh, food uh, exhibition <laughs> more than, uh, than a, a campus where people do work. But um, that's the beauty of uh, food in Google. To what extent is food a, a core part of um, Google's culture? I know this has been a free food has been part of uh, Google's um uh, sort of internal culture and um, in employee policies from the beginning. Yeah. What does that mean? What has it meant, say, 10, 11 years ago, and what does it mean today? Yeah, it's it's been the same focus from the, the day that I, I had a casual conversation with the co-founders. They really wanted and still want the food program to be something that is a foundation of our culture and, and fosters community. We are obviously in a talent uh, war for the best talent uh, out there, and everyone in our backyard is looking for the best and brightest. And we we look at our program uh, of Google Food as an investment into, you know, we hire the best, we hire the brightest, and we want to keep them here. We want to keep them at their best. And so the food program here, if you look at our mission, it's to inspire and enable the Google community to make informed personal food choices and enjoy food experiences that support them in being their best. So if you start with amazing people and you start with amazing products and you have amazing chefs, you've got this recipe to really ensure that we keep the culture alive. And, and there's so many unique aspects of, of the food program. And one of it is the voice of our users. And the users are critical to keeping us on check, asking very pointed questions around sourcing, sustainability, et cetera. But there's also things that we've done kind of in our secret sauce, so to speak, to really help users make better choices without them even realizing it. And I think you saw some of those examples when we had lunch today that we'll dive into, which really, I think, makes our program unique, 
but also makes it inspiring for other companies and startups uh, and chefs as they they move out of the Google walls at some point. I don't know why they'd want to mm-hmm. um, to take those those great behaviors and, and and disciplines and move them into their own their own businesses. Yeah, you have a unique um, challenge um, to solve and a problem that you have to face, which is uh, much like what I think a food company or a restaurant does is. You want to be able to provide the best tasting food that brings more customers in. Um, and it has to be so good that they keep coming back and wanting more and keeps them satisfied. But what adds another layer of complexity to what you're trying to do here is no one's paying for this food um, as an employee. So it's tempting to expect, I mean, from a user standpoint, it's tempting to expect everything to be amazing all the time. And we're talking about food here, which is complicated. Right. People... Um, love good food and And, and it's personal because what's good to you might not be good to me or vice versa and it it changes on a day-to-day depending on the weather and how you feel yeah so how do you as a as your role and the work that you all do here on the food team do you how do you balance health with uh with taste and um how has that uh, evolved over the years so uh the for the first part of that we we never h word the health word is a dirty word it's not anything anyone wants to talk about they don't want to talk about healthy food they don't want to talk about eating vegan or vegetarian the people that do are doing that for for great choices but we don't ever start off with health in the conversation we start with flavor um there's a saying that we use often which is you know scream flavor and whisper health it's it's something that is so inherent to chefs that if it doesn't taste good why even bother serving it and if that's a burger or if it's a carrot it the, the same rules apply the challenge is that uh, cooking a carrot or cooking uh, uh, any vegetable, for that matter, requires a different set of skills and disciplines if you really want to make it as craveable as the alternative, which could be a hamburger. So the analogy I often use is how do you make that vegetable offering as or if not more desirable than the meat or seafood dish? And oftentimes it's you can't or you can't do it without a little bit of meat or seafood being in it. But if you just literally did what we call flipping, which is a predominantly plant forward foundation on your plate or your or your dish and a little accent or garnish of meat or seafood sometimes that little bite of pancetta and that little bit of you know pork basted over the top just gives you enough of that flavor um, to to satiate you and to kind of hit the back of your brain where i got what i needed but you're really giving them predominantly vegetables and so there's a lot of ways that we work with our chefs and what's so amazing with our chefs is that they they're they're literally excuse the pun they're eating it up they love the challenge to be able to look at vegetables in a different way. When, when I went to culinary school and many of my chefs did as well, we weren't taught this. And so the amazing thing with our, some of our partnerships, we work with the Culinary Institute of America, they coined the protein flip uh, and the dessert flip years ago. And our chefs have taken uh, the, the core definition of what that is, and they've implemented it on their menus around the world. And part of our team's work has been to define that even further on how that translate, it translates in the Google uh, environment. Um, you mentioned the term plant forward. Now, I just wanted to briefly define this because we've been talking about plant centric, plant forward, plant based. What does it mean? And we've worked with the CIA and the CIA put together this great definition that I just wanted to call out. Plant forward is truly a style of cooking and eating that emphasizes and celebrates, but is not limited to plant based foods, including fruits, vegetables, produce, whole grains, beans and other legumes, including pulses soy foods, nuts and seeds, plant oils, herbs and spices, and that reflects evidence-based principles of health and sustainability. Mm-hmm. The key thing there is that we are not the food police. We are not preaching that you know everyone turns vegan, vegetarian. 
I am not. I eat meat. I love it. But I'm eating much less of it for all the right reasons, whether it's I feel better, I look better, it's better for the environment, it's better for the pocketbook. But you can't do that unless the chefs are executing something that's delicious mm -hmm. every single time. Yeah, that's, um, you know, I like the definition. It's important. Um, and it's important to for you to have that kind of an approach versus um, uh, trying to force people to eat in a certain way, which I don't mm -hmm. think would ever work. Mm -hmm. um, take a, let's take a little bit of a step back with, um, I know I mentioned the health word. Um, I'm going to mention sustainability, which mm -hmm. is also another dirty word, I guess, um, especially when people sit down to eat because they just want to eat good food. How is that factored into everything from, um, and I want to get separately, I'm, I'm going to dive deep into Plan Forward and how you've designed some dishes mm -hmm. over there. But before we get there, when did sustainability become a, come, a, a big issue for, for you all at Google over here? Yeah, uh, well, I would say it, it was something that was on my mind before I even came to Google. And I think many chefs um, are probably more focused on sustain, sustainability than they might be on their own personal health, at least in their, in their younger years. So it's definitely something that's on the chef's minds and within our users as well. Um, there are so many questions, great questions that come to us from users about, you know, what are the decisions that we think about? So when we look at our, our general areas of focus for sustainability, and Kristen Rainey, who's on our team, uh, heads up um, procurement and sustainability focus for Google Food, um, there's about five key areas that we are most focused on. There are many other aspects to it, and I'm sure we'll, we'll dive into these later. But the first one is around really looking at uh, beef consumption. Um, while we all, all love beef, for those that have done the research uh, to see how much uh, resources it, it takes to you know create literally a, a pound of beef, uh, it's not sustainable for the planet. And while uh, I'm not anyone to say don't eat as much beef, my personal choice is I eat a lot less. I feel better, and I've lost a lot of weight. And hopefully, I've, I've done my my part to improve uh, improve sustainability there. But we're looking at you know reducing antibiotics in animal proteins is something as a huge core focus to us, and we've embedded that into our procurement standards globally so that we can ensure that. We're, we're thoughtful in the purchases that, that we're doing around the world. We really also want to help, uh, the second point is we want to help people shift their diets. And so we look at it as everyone's on a, you know, a different continuum. If, if, if you're eating a burger every day or you're eating chicken every day, whatever it might be, if we can get you from four legs to three and from three legs to two and from two legs to fins and fins to, to legumes and pulses, mm -hmm. that's awesome. And, and if it's just that you're eating one burger less a week or if you're eating a little bit less chicken, Wherever your starting point is, it's different for everyone. And I think that's where, where we're really trying to shift diets. The third area around sustainability is really reducing loss and waste in the food system. It, it really pains me to see the amount of food that is uh, produced um, within the U.S. or abroad and that what's, what's, what's wasted. And so our approach to waste mitigation at Google is extremely high, and it's something that all of the chefs are very, very uh, vested into. And uh, we're very proud and, and, and happy about the thought that goes into ensuring that we only produce what we need, we're cooking just in time, we're donating food if we need to donate it and if we can donate it, and we're tracking everything through uh, some sort of a system like Lean Path or something like that. Uh, the, the fourth area would be conserving water, and that mm -hmm. goes directly to beef and lamb and a lot of the dairy that, that, we're, that we're procuring is to be thoughtful. Do you need to have as much of it on your menu? So we have balanced cycle menus that the chefs think about. They creatively write a menu like an artist would, and then they analytically uh, look at it and, and analyze the different aspects of, wow, you know what? I've got way too many allergens here. I've got a little bit more beef than I need, or can I make some shifts so it's a little bit more balanced and thoughtful? 
Because keep in mind, these are not weekend diners. These are employees that come to Google breakfast, lunch, and sometimes three meals a day. We can't serve the same sort of food that we would serve in a restaurant mm -hmm. uh, on a Friday night. So, you know, that's something we think about. The last two areas around our, our focus areas would be really enhancing our food system transparency. We want to be able to, to have all the answers to all the great questions that uh, users have and really challenge our producers and suppliers. And they have been challenged with a lot of the questions that we give them. And if they don't have the answer initially, but they're willing to work towards it, that's a step in the right direction. And then lastly is uh, going back to our mission is we want to really enable in individuals to make personal and informed food choices for sustainable lifestyles. So when we look at all of those uh, attributes together, we think that we uh, have a pretty good handle on how we are helping not only users make better choices, but also working with some of the biggest producers in the world to do the thing that they want to do, but they need someone with a strong uh, buying power like Google Food to be able to help them along. And so we've got some amazing partnerships to be able to, to really see how the, uh, the industry is changing for the better in those areas. It's taking you know, a while. It's a big ship to steer, but we like to think that we're doing our small part um, that's going to help inspire and aid other uh, organizations as well. Mm -hmm. And that's so, you know, you're touching different, um, you're touching every end of the spectrum um, from procuring uh, ingredients to how you shape that into specific um, recipes or dishes that you put on your menus in your right. various cafeterias. Let's talk about some examples of where you've made some changes to deliver an end user experience sure. where when they walk into um, one of your... Um, uh, cafes or elsewhere that you get food in a Google um, office, they are able to pick a dish that on the surface looks like um, something delicious and perfect to eat for lunch, mm -hmm. but that you've spent a lot of time, the Google food has spent a lot of time crafting certain ingredients um, or mixture of ingredients uh, to enable you to meet some of your sustainability goals. So whether it's the blended burger mm -hmm. or other dishes that are all plant-based, what has, what have, you, what have you tried and what's worked, what's failed? I would love to walk through some examples. Sure. So you know, if we start with salads, I think salads are probably the most exciting thing because it's not typically what you think of when you think of salads or, or salad bars in most establishments. The word excitement probably doesn't come to mind. And we have put in so much time and effort, and we're really proud on the direction we're heading. We're not there yet and reinventing salads. And so we call salads stations, stations, bars are for drinking, I jokingly say. And it's because of with a new name comes a new set of guidance and responsibilities. Things that have worked well with salad stations is uh, less is more, so less offering. So you don't need 50 different toppings because most likely uh, they won't be of the highest uh, quality consistently because you're putting out too much versus concentrating on doing less better. The other things would be a curated set of offerings, things that go together. So we want to make it easy for you to make a good combination of, of salad uh, toppings to form something craveable. And if we give you 50 different things, there's no way those are all going to go together to, to form something. So where we've gotten it wrong is in the past where we've just thought that the more is the better. Because if you ask for two of your favorites and someone else asks for two of their favorites, the toppings gets uncontrollable. Mm -hmm. And then it's not scalable. We have to think everything we do, and, and Larry Page talks about this a lot about the company, everything we do needs to be scalable. It needs to be scalable and, and quickly. So our food program is no different. Um, with the 200 plus cafes, we think about that. Areas that we've gotten it right is, is not just salad stations, but a plated offerings. So you made a, a, a great uh, call out that 
if you go into a, a cafe and you've got something that's plated, you know that the chef thought about that. Mm -hmm. uh, it might be a single dish. It may be a com uh, various components that have been nutritionally nutritionalized. So you've got your, your whole grains or legumes and you've got your protein and your vegetables. We think about that um, behind the scenes so that it looks good, it tastes good, and it sounds good on the menu so that when you go up there to, to grab your selection, we're trying to make that, that decision so simple for you. We also like to, we've had some great wins around personalization. So if we gave you a plate of uh, a protein, whether it's vegetable or non-veg, some, uh, some, some whole grains and some vegetables, and we, if we leave the sauces on the side, if we leave the allergens on the side and allow you to personalize your food out of necessity or preference, we have a much higher uptick in favorability because it's now yours. And we saw that when we walked to Allegra today where you could add all the toppings. Um, the other great thing about a plated concept, not that we only offer that, is you know that the chef took the time to hand select and you know create that experience. You wouldn't go to a restaurant and go to the back kitchen and just pull out eight different items that look good and put them on a plate. And it's the sort, same sort of thing here. However, we do have many buffet settings at Google, and that's what we founded ourselves on as we're moving to more concepts mm -hmm. where we're thinking through the type of ingredients and offering as well as plated, we still have a lot of buffets. But with the buffets we've learned is you really need to think about what your core offering is going to be, establish a cycle menu, and refine it. We, we've turned to uh, predominantly a recipe-based organization in two years, and for all the right reasons. Uh, many of the chefs, including myself, when we started, were only working off of a handful of recipes. But now with the chefs having a re renewed focus on vegetable cookery and mastering vegetables to be perfectly delicious, that requires new skills and disciplines that the chefs may or may not have. And being recipe-based and cycle menu-based has helped us get there as mm -hmm. well. Lastly would be it has to sound delicious. So yes, it has to look good, has to taste good. But most people look at the menu on their application on their computer before they even think about what they want. Mm -hmm. And if it says steamed cauliflower on the menu, like why would you even bother putting that on there? <laughs> like what can we do to get people excited? And so we're using a lot of terminology uh, on our on our menu tags and our dishes to really celebrate what the dish has or what it is versus what it is not. So if I see low fat or vegan, you're getting a phone call from me because that is not <laughs> what creates excitement. So even if it tasted perfect, right, the last thing you want is to have some sort of uh, notation around what it doesn't have. We also try to highlight unique ingredients, a variety of cooking techniques in the dish. So grilled this, basted that, poached that. And then telling a personal story, whether it's your grandmother's recipe or it was inspired by a culinary tour that you did weeks or months ago. Um, ethnic descriptors. People love the fact when they see Moroccan uh, on the dish because they're like, wow, that could be exciting. Mm -hmm. Or they're like, I don't like Moroccan. I'm going to leave. And then it's like, come here. You're going to love this. <laughs> um, and then I think the last thing is don't overcomplicate your menus. Do not put so much on a menu tag or a title where it's a, it's a book. You want to kind of under-promise and over-deliver. And those are some things that we've done across the board, and we're still doing, and we're rolling out all of our vegetable and our plant-forward items have this focus on ensuring that we're putting just as much attention and passion into what the dish sounds like, to how it's presented, and obviously to how it tastes. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is Google after all. I mean, and so I'm sure you're doing a lot of um, analysis of data um, and looking at trends to try to figure out what works and what doesn't work. Um, you said so much there. I want to, you know, I can take this in 10 different directions, mm -hmm. but I want to start off by dividing this into two separate pieces. One is the user interface in many ways that you're creating 
for the food experience at Google, uh, whether it's through the app that your employees use um, that have menu dis uh, um, description of items on the menu and their names, or when you walk into one of the um, cafes, how the food is laid out yeah. there. So for someone who maybe hasn't checked out the menu before entering, right. is um, why are they going to gravitate to one section versus the other? Yep. Um, so, you know, let's take the user experience first, which depends on how you name things, uh, describe them, obviously, where you place them in the cafes. To what extent has um, uh, data and um you know, I know you've done some work around behavioral science and behavioral economics to try to see to what extent you can model certain behaviors and influence choices uh, without forcing it on people. Um, yeah, and that's that's the absolute key. When you're running a, a program as large as we do, and when and when there's so much choice, you're you're almost paralyzed at, at times. And so our our message is simple. Um, through our work with behavioral science and behavioral economics, it's make the better choice the easiest choice. And that can be in a variety of ways. The analogy I would give is if I put a, a bottle of water like we have in front of us, in front of you, you're going to most likely drink it. If I put a Coca-Cola or a soda in front of you and that's all that's there and you're thirsty, you're going to probably drink that as well. So it's the same analogy as we want to ensure that we're providing our users a choice, but some of the less better choices may be a little harder to find. They're smart. They're going to find them. But we've actually heard from Googlers saying, thank you so much for doing as, as, little, as little things as having a breakfast salad as an option every morning for breakfast. It's great to be able to see the salad changes every day. It's something that's uniquely Google. It's on every single menu around the world. It's different, but it's an offering. And that would be an option of the better choice. So we obviously have a, you know, a suite of things that we do to make the better choices easier. But the first thing is how our chefs talk about the items and how much passion they put into it. Uh, if the chef is overly proud of his barbecued spare ribs mm -hmm. and not so much with the vegetables, that's an opportunity. And so we attack that first. Once the chefs are inspired and understand and are excited about vegetable cookery, it makes it a lot easier. All of our kitchens are open kitchens. And so everything communicates from a chef, whether it's he or she is standing next to the item, that's the item that has to be hand carved, or it's an action station. All of these things communicate the chef's excitement. Once you've got the user that uh, now open to trying new things, then it's about the chef's um, sincerity and and really clear understanding that confidence that they initiated that dish, they executed it, that it's going to be awesome and delicious. And whether it's priming or giving a sample, here, try this. Because, you know, as a diner, you're, you're committing to something, even if it's free. Am I going to like this? Am I not? And so we want to be able to make it easier for people to, to try things. And so we're we're trying different ways for people to um, commit to things, whether it's smaller portions, smaller plates, or even priming. Um, vegetables and a colorful display of plant-forward offerings are always the first thing that you would see, whether it's the salad station or the hotline of vegetables. And then when it comes down to uh, the animal or seafood proteins, they're still there every mm -hmm. single day, but they're, they're, they're kind of shadowed behind the foundation of plant-forward because that's where you get the most color. I mean, if you think about meat and fish, you've got not a lot of colors going on. It's just kind of white or brown or red or right. Yeah. So we really want to ensure seasonality uh, and local representation of a diversity of plants. And I think that's what's so fun with our chefs is we push them outside of their comfort zone to mm -hmm. say, you know, we've seen cauliflower, we've seen the carrots, we've seen the beets. 
there's about 5,000 other vegetables that you may want to try, especially if you're in California, yeah. where they can uh, explore with. And that's where they need to build in. And they do. They build in time to experiment with their team, not on the Googlers. That's mm -hmm. clearly in the, <laughs> in, in the direction there is don't, don't experiment on the users, which they, they thank us for. But the chefs have so much fun experimenting on new vegetable cookery in ways they can present it, talk about it, and, and menu it. And they, it, that's that's really what it's about. Yeah, and it must be exciting to be a chef here because, you know, they're designing, they're just thinking off the food and they're designing something that they believe is going to be received by the uh, diner and appreciated and they'll come back and ask for the same thing again or, or look out for it again. But then you're, you've got the added responsibility of um, then presenting it to uh, showcasing it in a, right. in a smart way, which encourages people to eat it. I mean, I can't help but think of, you know, A-B testing websites and looking at, um, you know, I even noticed the way you were describing how um, your beverages are laid out in the refrigerator as right. uh, sprinkled around uh, the campus. Uh, the arrangement of drinks is so that your eye catches the healthier mm -hmm. options mm -hmm. versus going to the soda, which is placed now at the bottom. Um, it is, again, using data and using um the time people have to make a quick decision right. and encouraging them to make the right one by putting that up front. But the second part really is um, in the food space specifically, not beverages, is um, how do you keep innovating with um, healthier ingredients or more sustainable ingredients in a way that no one even recognizes that, that dish is, you know, quote unquote healthy mm -hmm. or sustainable. It is, just happens to be um, um something that they they liked to eat and they yeah, want to eat it again? Yeah, it's a great question. I think there's a variety of things we look at. Uh, what we're doing is, is not revolutionary. I think we're trying to simplify overall, and that's, that's, that's the secret of it, really. Um, one of our core values is to strive to use the, the least amount of processed ingredients. Um, the chef's arsenal, jokingly, uh, is, you know, salt, sugar, fat, or anything that comes out of a can or a bag, because most likely that's where salt, sugar, fat live um, and many other nasties. And if you strip that or remove that or limit that from chefs, not that we remove sugar from our, our food, but we really try to challenge them to develop and deliver flavor um, in the most natural way. That requires potentially new skill sets. So spice blending, as an example, if you go to India or you go to Southeast Asia, they nail vegetable cookery because that's what they've been doing for generations. And for as an American chef, that when I first started cooking, was very challenging for me unless I would just open up a jar of curry paste, which, mm -hmm. as you know, from India, that's not what curry is, right? Mm -hmm. So when our chefs are developing new skill sets and broadening their horizon on how to make vegetables uh, more flavorful, they're getting excited and inspired about how to deliver that. And so there's really no secret in um, the execution other than they have to stop and they have to ask the question, does this really need to be added to this? We try to say, you know, if you can do a great recipe with seven ingredients or less, do it. That's hard to say if you're doing a curry, but you might say that a spice blend or a masala is one ingredient, right? Mm -hmm. But that's kind of where we're at. So the chefs have a very analytical mind after they creatively create their menu. They have to go back and they have to look at it. And that's where the magic happens. They have to stop and think how to take something that looked and sounded delicious and make some little tweaks to it. So you, you mentioned the blended burger. So there's many institutions that have been doing some sort of a blended burger. I think Sonic just announced it a few months ago where they were going to try uh, launching a mushroom uh, and beef burger. And that's something that um, is a great example. The chefs can deliver a delicious product that has 50% less beef in it because now it's got a delicious 
way to execute mushrooms. You can't just throw raw, raw mushrooms and expect it to be good. It took us a couple years to get our recipe figured out. But now uh, the default burger um, in, in our campuses is, is a 50% blend. And that's a hard percentage to do. Most people do about 20 to 30%. Um, so those are the sort of things, the tricks that the chefs have to think about uh, on how to execute it in a way that's delicious, craveable, and consistent. And then, you know, you being a, your background, being a chef, um, I think you have to deal with problems that most um, restaurants don't have to deal in. But at the same time, there's a lot of commonality and the same lessons that could be applied if someone was launching a restaurant mm -hmm. um, from designing the menu to picking the items on the menu yeah. to naming the menu right. uh, or naming the items on the menu. But a lot of what I find fascinating about um the breadth of what you do here is that uh, those lessons can also be applied in uh, food service. It can be applied in uh, for CPG companies who are trying to figure out how to brand and label certain products. Um, you know, we're at a point where people want to make more healthy choices, but they don't want to compromise on flavor. And, and nor um, should they. Nor should they, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's the companies, I think, or the restaurants and the the fast casual chains that are starting to um, to grow and achieve success are the ones who are able to do what you're doing over here mm -hmm. in some ways is be able to provide nutritious food uh, packed with flavor presented in a way that doesn't seem like um, you're compromising on any choice um, or anything that you value in food. Um, and I think, you know, if you can even piece, take small parts of what you do here and apply that into... Um, Outside of Google, mm -hmm. there could be several lessons um, that that can be applied and, and adopted there, which I think is is supremely fascinating. What's happening here? Um, you know, we're at a as I said, we're in an interesting time in the food industry. We have to do something um, overall uh, to transform our food system, or we're going to be in a pretty dark place um, thirty years or less from now right. uh, when we run out of land and um, drinking water and other, mm -hmm. and other problems. Um, Google, of course, since you produce so much food, it's a, it's a, you have a responsibility there. And I think you, you mentioned that and you spoke to why sustainability is a key part of it. Everything from sourcing ingredients to um, putting together dishes to even the food waste problem. Um, given all of that, do you think a, a chef in um, 2017 can um, responsibly do their job without factoring in uh, sustainability without trying to think plan forward or do you think um and is that do you see that really happening as a chef um yeah. and working with chefs too i think you know i often say to the chefs that they are the modern day superheroes the the power that they have as chefs to menu whatever they choose to menu uh, there's a responsibility aspect that they they need to own so uh, I think sure it's possible for them to not think about it, but it's not fair to themselves uh, as as chefs. It's not fair to the the people they serve, and it's not fair to the community, nor let alone Mother Earth. I think in time, many chefs, and I think the chefs are so much more progressive now than when I started cooking back in the in the you know late eighties. Um, then you know they're thinking about these things, and I think it is so ingrained in the conversation. Um, maybe not within the mass us but definitely key parts of it that we're seeing amazing uh progress um and innovation with chefs that they're really the the key people that you know diners want to know from the chef they want mm -hmm. to talk to the chef 
And equipping the chefs with the right uh, skill set and stories and key data points is crucial because if they don't have them, they're either not going to be able to speak uh, intelligently to it or they're just not going to be um, the individuals that uh, that are approached by diners. And I think we have such a core responsibility, as I said, to deliver, to deliver on that. So I do think that the chefs uh, of 2017 and moving forward are spending more and more um, time thinking about it. But at the same time, we're, we're all human and we all have to have a balance in our approach to eating. And, um, you know, whether it's the, you know, fried chicken that I had a couple of days ago or the, or the burger here and there, I'm eating those less often. And when I eat it, I'm ensuring that those are the you know, the cleanest products that I can find. They're prepared in the way that I want it to be prepared because either I'm cooking it or I'm going to a place that I know what they're doing. The transparency in the food system just didn't exist years ago and people didn't even want to know. The fact that people didn't want to know, you know, what a, a slaughterhouse looked like or where their chicken came from to me was always just like, why would you not want to know that? Mm -hmm. But I think people have really turned that uh, paradigm and they're asking those questions. And that I think is the most important thing, because if you ask the questions and eventually you get the answers, the people producing our food are going to cater to what we want. Yeah. And if we don't ask the questions, then then shame on us. Yeah. And, you know, chefs are the trendsetters um, of the food industry. And it, you know, usually starts off at restaurants because um, you can try out new dishes. And if they succeed, that's great. If they fail, you switch it around. Um, and uh, the cost there is not too much. Mm -hmm. um, and then eventually that catches on and those products become um, widely accepted in, in the culture and end up in packaged goods eventually. Right. Um, so uh, chefs at the end of the day bear that responsibility and the more they start to think about how to make food that is just, um, you know, by default good for you, also taste as good as that perhaps bad option that you previously would have take, uh, chosen, um, they're then taking on their responsibility in a way that um, can hopefully improve the state of our food system rather than contribute to the existing problems yeah. that we have. And, 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 and I think ultimately we're able to do both. You know, we always lead with flavor. So, you know, just I'm listening to you and you're talking about leading with health and we always flip it and lead with flavor. And it's just something that in in our minds here, you start and you end with flavor and health is a great byproduct of that. Mm -hmm. And, and part of health is, um, you know, I had, like I said, I had fried chicken the other day in Portland. It was amazing, but it was one wing, right? Mm -hmm. One chicken wing, not a, a half a chicken. So portion control, I think is another crucial opportunity that we just don't think about. And especially depending on where you are dining in the U S there are portions that are two, three or four times larger in different parts of the world. Have the good stuff. Just moderate it because yeah. you're going to enjoy it that much more. You're going to feel better. And, you know, you can always have it next week. Right, right. And, you know, being a part of Google, you probably get pitched by a bunch of different companies with exciting new products. Um, I'm sure you've noticed there's been a... Um, in the last few years, especially a growth in a number of plant-based offerings, whether it's um, plant-based proteins or uh, cheeses um, mm -hmm. and other products out there. Right. Uh, to what extent do you, what is your thoughts on that, the industry in general and what's happening yeah, today? So first off, I think it's great that the industry is changing uh, and going towards a direction of trying to make more um, uh, meat alternative products uh, available. Uh, I've tried many of them. I think some of them are literally within a blind tasting. You may not know the difference. And I, I'm a fan of blind tastings. Any of my chefs listening to this right now will laugh because I probably <laughs> duped them a couple times on a blind tasting. But at the same time, uh, I think it's a personal choice on what you ultimately want to put in your mouth. And if it's if it's a, a smaller burger or if it's less frequent, I think that's that's a win. If you're switching from a burger, and I'm using that as an example, but whatever it might be that's that's meat based or, or seafood based, if you're if you're going to an alternative, 
um, and, and you like that and that helps you eat um, healthier, I think that's great. Ultimately, it's the same analogy as we want to get people to eat, you know, from four legs to three, to two, to two, to fins, et cetera. And if you can get people through some of these new innovative products to enjoy uh, eating vegetable-based products more often, go for it. Um, I think a lot of the great products out there, whether it is protein alternatives like crickets, which I've tried, I've cooked with at home, I've menued, uh, even got my wife to eat them, um, <laughs> are are very, very interesting. I think it's whether it's the, the plant-based um, hamburgers that are out there, um, whether it's just going to um, something as simple as eggplant and really figuring out how to cook that in a way that resembles meat. And I do this dish at home and everyone loves it. You can't tell the difference. I cooked mm -hmm. it for a, a group of food and wine enthusiasts uh, a few months ago, and they all thought it was a, a meatball and it was eggplant. Um, or you go to something like jackfruit, which is mm -hmm. a little bit less uh, heard of here on, on the West Coast, and you can resemble a meat texture. So there's a lot of uh, tools now in our arsenal that have kind of, you know, evolved since the basic, you know, salt, sugar, fat. And it's the chefs are taking more time to understand technique. That's what it comes down to. It's technique of cooking or the technique of the, the spice blend. And all of those come together to really create a delicious experience. And so that's what I'm most excited about uh, is really looking at all of these different tools in our tool chest and seeing what do we need to do to put on our menu to get people to be excited about trying something that is not the traditional fare that they had, you know, five, 10 years ago that is not, to your point, sustainable. Yeah. Right. And uh, what do you think about um, some of the new technologies like uh, clean meat or cellular meat? Um, is that something when it does hit the market, of course, uh, that Google would be most likely to try out depending on? So we've definitely, we've definitely tried many of them, and mm -hmm. I think a lot of them are in their infant stages, and sometimes we do taste tests and we do uh, collaboration with many of these companies. I commend them on, on what they're doing. I think it's truly amazing. Um, the, the hit, the, you know, it'll be interesting to see which of these products can make it to market and which of these products can be something that we might be able to use at high volume. But just because, uh, it may or may not make it into our doors for the program doesn't mean we're not excited about the product. We're not yeah. talking about it. We may be cooking with it at home. We go to many trade shows and we have a, a vast extent, extensive partnership list, um, that we want to be able to have these conversations with. Um, and I, you know, I mentioned crickets as an example. Um, there's a variety of producers that we've looked at to see, is that something that would stick? And it may not stick in the Bay area, but when you go overseas, Latin America or wherever they've been serving crickets for generations, mm -hmm. they're like, yeah, this isn't new to us. So it's really about just getting people to expand, uh, their, their palate and, and diversify the, what they put in their mouth. And I think so many of us are used to just what we know. And one of the best things about being in the food industry is, you know, we get to travel, we get to see and try new things and we get to open ourselves up to things that we may not have ever thought, you know, years ago, would I have thought of eating a cricket? No. Uh, and I've had it now. And I did a cricket gnocchi dish, uh, for some friends at New Year's, granted the glass of champagne priming them probably helped them, <laughs> but they all loved it and they couldn't tell the difference. Uh -huh. So it was a lot of fun. Right. And, um, you know, look, talking about um, back to Google and at the end of the day, you're f feeding some of the smartest people on earth. Uh, what do the smartest people on earth uh, eat? So what are some of the most popular dishes that you've and maybe oh, wow. that changes over time? Yeah. But, uh, um, what stands out? What's big amongst Googlers? I think I think it's it depends on what office you're in, but really what it comes down to is 
they want to be able to detach from their day and uh, a lot of comfort home home style food uh, home style recipes and often we'll get recipes from our chefs or or even our users and we'll even throw users in the kitchen they do little internships things that remind you of a childhood memory and evoke a a, a reaction and an emotion are probably the most popular as far as stories i think what generally um, a lot of our employees gravitate to are foods that are fresh and clean and enable them to have a productive afternoon you don't want to eat a great meal and go to sleep that's not that's not a great business decision for us here so you know they want to be able to grab a salad or a wrap or a salad wrap because you can hold it with one hand because as you've seen most googlers here mm-hmm. one hand's on their phone or their laptop and the other one might be eating but in the in the cafe experience we want them to be able to detach and and release and food is a great escape and a lot of those comfort dishes uh, our challenge is to do those dishes in a way that is not going to potentially uh, involuntarily get them to overindulge because that's they're just not going to feel good after that. Mm-hmm. So that correlation between what you eat now and how you feel minutes, moments, and hours later is something that not enough people think about. They don't realize half a day or a day later why they're sluggish. And a lot of it could be due to yeah. what you had for lunch. And to what extent have you experimented with uh, descriptions that are that talk about the functional benefits of certain foods? So I can imagine if you had a station uh, of foods that, that have... Um, Terms like brain boosting and increased focus and productivity. Is that something you played around with? Is that something you not, even Not consider? so much. Um, mm-hmm. Our users are extremely bright and they're going to um, do a lot of the research. Mm-hmm. What we want, our, our key um, focus is to expose them to a, a variety of delicious offerings, focusing on a plant foundation. And um, there are key, obviously, attributes of, you know, berries, et cetera, antioxidants that people um, typically know. If there are newer ingredients that we think um, are uh, in need of some further uh, clarification, the users are usually on their app looking it up or asking questions. And that's where the, the conversation comes on. And that's where we're careful with it. We really don't want to go out there and start boasting about the health attributes of something because when you're at lunch, you your escape for lunch is for yeah. 30, 40, or 40 minutes or an hour of indulgence or just kind of like letting loose. And we want to be able to provide something that's been thoughtfully crafted and, and executed and not have to, to really think about, you know, am I, am I eating this because it's good for me? No, you're eating because yeah. it's delicious, but the byproduct is hopefully it's it's going to keep you going through the afternoon into the evening. Yeah, you still think like a chef, which is important. I yeah, think it's, it's all the years really, of being at really Google important. hasn't changed. Yeah, it's it. really important. And I know that we work with so many chefs that are nutritionists or nutritionists, and they always want to start with, with health. And they've even agreed that health doesn't sell. It's not mm-hmm. sexy. It's, you have to start with um, amazing ingredients that the chefs are passionate about, uh, whether it's a carrot or, or a, you know, a piece of pork, and let them do their thing and yeah. let them celebrate it. Yeah, so you just you you know you think of food as food and indulgence and um, and uh, something that distracts you from your work, but also then gets you back to what you're doing, and right. so you, it plays a crucial role. And I think you're you're holding on to the core of food culture, which in some places is changing, where right. you know food is being used as a tool. To... Yeah, it's the highlight of many of our employees' days. I mean, it's the highlight of my day. I mean, sometimes I am eating a salad at my desk, but for the most part. When you sit down and have an experience uh, of food, it's at Google or at home or at a restaurant, we try to bring all those together. So the way we design our spaces, the lighting, the natural lighting, the the atmosphere, uh, the sound, all of these things play into how you have an awesome experience. 
you know, there's a reason a hot dog at the ballpark tastes better than anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And it's because all these things kind of come together and evoke, you know, emotions that you had as kids. And we think about this when we design our spaces and how we craft an overall food experience. It's not just, you know, putting a piece of great food on a plate. Everything has to work. And that's where we spend so much time that users don't necessarily see all that. And nor should they. Yeah. So they have to. They just come and enjoy the, the the afternoon. Yeah, because after all, we're in the heart of Silicon Valley, and uh, you know, um, we've heard all about the you don't need to eat food, and you can have uh, you can drink uh, your meal in a in a bottle. And I think you're still holding on to what food really is supposed to be, um, the role that it plays in people's lives, um, which I think is great, and I think important in a company like Google, which is very tech driven. So um, you spent over a decade here. You've obviously seen the um, uh, Google Food evolve and expand, and um, you know the Google change and evolve over the years. Where do you see this headed? Um, say next thirty years. What's your if you could lay down your vision, if you had one, or Google has, mm -hmm. uh, or your team has a vision for where you want Google to be from a food standpoint in the year twenty fifty. Say thirty years from now. Um, well, I, I use the year twenty fifty because you know either we're going to be in a in a better place or we're going to be in a much worse place by that yeah. time and hope and hopefully efforts like what you're doing here and and others are doing is going to lead us to that better place what does that better place look like yeah well if if we look at our vision it's very similar to our mission the google food vision is to inspire and enable the world to make food choices and use food experiences to develop more sustainable lifestyles and communities and when you think that through every word is very thoughtful and intentional we really want to help with our amazing talent, all of our chefs, our users who are, um, you know, the greatest spokesperson of what we do, our suppliers and producers that we work with, we have such an impact. And going back to that whole superhero, uh, you know, the power we have, the responsibility we need to, to adhere to, we want to see everyone making better choices because they're, they're, they're cognizant of it and they're, they're asking those right questions. And so we want to be, um, continue to be uh, really an organization that helps inspire others to think about not only what's for dinner, but what's in the food that I'm, that I'm either buying or, 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 or procuring or cooking. Uh, and that's, what's the most excitement. Cause I don't think over the last, you know, hundred years, I wasn't here on years ago, but I don't think for the last, um, several years, at least that people were taking that as serious. It was more around food for fuel. And I think food is so much more in this, day and age more about the experience and um, people are just so passionate about uh, thinking about that and it's fun right mm -hmm. and so that i think is where we want to be able to deliver is um, really delivering thoughtful offerings and choices for people to help them uh, live long uh, lives whatever happy is it means to you but we want to keep you at your best and that's what we're about that's great. Well, thank you so much, Scott. Thanks for having us here and for all your insights. Um, now, if you could just lead me into one of your cafes, I plan to spend the rest of my afternoon eat, eating over there. Let's do it. <laughs> all right. Thanks, thanks so much. Mel. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. 
Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening. Headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com